Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to the good news with Angie Austin. Now, with the good news, here's Angie. Welcome to the good news with Angie Austin and Dr. Cheryl Lentz. I had to get Cheryl to join me again on the uh, the topic of failure. You know, she speaks about it a lot. If you didn't hear her story, 35 years ago, she was cut from a program in Illinois where she was studying to be a world-class organ player and would have played in big, big churches for huge events. Well... Uh, the, the, her professor cut her from the program because he didn't feel she was the Olympian of organ players. So uh, she didn't play for 35 years. On Valentine's Day, she got to go back into a church and play again with tears streaming down her face. And as she put it, she re-met her love at the altar on Valentine's Day and felt the Lord speak into her heart, you are good enough. Right, Cheryl? Absolutely. It was such a magical experience that I know you and your listeners have been following me since November. And the idea is like, well, when is this ever going to happen? And when is this going to happen? And it happened in divine timing on Valentine's Day at church. And I could not imagine a more perfect day to fall in love with my music after 35 years. Oh, beautiful. All right. Uh, We're continuing the topic of failing to success. And Cheryl said, you know, had it been a different time or had she known more, she might have just moved to a different program, you know, and just uh, tried somewhere else. But she kind of felt like you don't want me I don't want you and that was the end of the organ playing gave away all her music gave away her shoes and she's got to get all that again but uh, we're talking about a a book called Chasing Failure how uh, falling short sets you up for success now it's a Forbes article Um, Ryan Leak is the author of that book Chasing Failure he's a motivational speaker uh, consultant and interestingly enough he's a pastor and he tries to reframe the concept of failure um, from one of a mistake or a misfortune or just a horrible trial and tribulation in your life to one of progress and future success. And this particular article is about parents working with their children to teach them how to fail. And, uh, you know, in it, he talks about how, uh, Cheryl, all parents would agree, you know, we want the best for our kids, but sometimes wanting the best for them can bring out the worst in us. And I see this all the time, especially when I go to sporting events with my kids. Well, here was the thing that was for mine is I remember my first real failure because I was a valedictorian, never got anything other than A's until I got to cal- uh, calculus my senior year and I got my first C and my first F. My parents wanted to try and help me deal with the idea of perfectionism. And so that C went on the refrigerator. None of my A's ever did. And that F went on the refrigerator. And I'm telling you, I can still feel that pain 40 some years later. And why did they do it? To get you to see that it was just a failure on the road to success? Exactly. It was just, but they didn't process it that way. They just made sure that they were going to put it on the refrigerator door and says, you know what, learn from this. It's not a big deal. You're not perfect. It's okay to get a a C. And so that's what they were trying to do, but they didn't do it well. And I did not internalize it well because it would say, oh, that great just mock me and oh, go for right and a lot of parents or uh, you know other kids probably say like oh my gosh that's so mean you've got you're here you're straight a student and then all of a sudden you get a c and an f and they're going to paste it on the refrigerator and remind you of your failure but really yep. they were trying to get you to see that like look this I, I guess i learned it as 
Don't strive for perfection. Strive for excellence. And then I or think that- try progress because I mean, yes. the whole idea on the gold excellence is to be able to know you're not, you didn't come out of the womb walking. <laughs> you're not going to come out of the womb an orthopedic surgeon or a, or a rocket scientist. You have to learn along the way. But many of us don't understand the process of that. And I was so uptight because I was really looking at the grades. And I tell my students all the time, if you focus on the, you know, the learning, the grades will come. You focus on the grades, the ulcers will come. And for me, it did. Because I, I didn't understand the difference. I love this concept of, you know, teaching your kids about failure. One thing that uh, Leek says is that there's a massive difference between being the best and giving your best. Trying to be the best and failing will lead to depression. Giving your best and failing will lead to contentment and continuing to try. Like you're giving your best. Oh, that's an interesting way to do it because I know what spurred me on and it's not for the faint of heart and doesn't work for many people. But for me, it was a tell me I can't do something and I'll prove you wrong. Right. But the fact is, I was too young at the time. It took years to develop. I didn't have this until my career, probably until my 30s, not when this happened in my 20s. But it was something that I internalized and thought that, well, if one person's going to tell you you're not good enough, then you must not be good enough. And I believed it, but I couldn't separate the you're not good enough at the skill you are plenty good at the person. That differentiation took me years as an adult and I'm 54 years old and I'm just now understanding the full impact of that. You know, it's interesting too, Cheryl, what I'm seeing is, um, you know, with teenage kids that a lot of parents are tying to their feelings of success or importance uh, tying to their children's success, tying it to their children's success. And uh, Leek says in the book we're talking about, I think all parents would agree that we want the best for our kids, but I think sometimes wanting the best for them can bring out the worst in us. A common perception of failure most parents struggle with is the fact that they project the failures of their children onto themselves. We think, well, my kids can't fail because then I'm going to look like I failed at the same thing. So we're holding our kids to a standard we didn't even maybe attain ourselves. We have to learn to let go of the idea that our identity rises and falls on the success or failures of our children. And I see this all the time, particularly with my husband with sports. He's very demanding of them because he is so athletic and our kids do really well in sports. But I just said to him last night, because there are some classes my kids are really struggling in. Uh, my son's struggling in math and he has a tutor right now. My daughter used to struggle in math and now she has two A pluses in her ma- I mean, it's just mind blowing to me because she was failing math on numerous occasions. We had to really pull her out by her, you know, by her hair out of the uh, the F uh, block. But um, even my daughter that I, so, I see is just like myself. And I was a straight A student, worked full time, graduated with honors. I always thought her brain worked just like mine. And I just expected straight A's to come automatically. And I just said to him last night, you know, I never envisioned having children who would struggle with school. I never envisioned such difficulties with getting them to study and to excel in school because it was my place to really succeed and have an identity because I had such a difficult childhood. School was really uh, my favorite place to be. And uh, that right there, what I said is exactly what he's saying, that I'm looking at my, and I even say to teachers when we have problems with class, like, well, I I was a straight A student. Like, I don't even, I don't even know like how to help them sometimes. I don't know how to motivate them because I was naturally motivated. It's almost like I have to tell them how smart 
that I was so they don't think because my child's having difficulties that I was just like that. I mean, how embarrassing for me that I, I did exactly what he's saying not to do. Well, and that's tough because I think, you know, my parents had never had a child like me and we don't know where my internal motivation came from. But I know that I struggle with the fact that I felt that when I achieved something, I felt better about myself. So somehow this idea of putting more awards on the wall, more credentials on the wall, more this on the wall, that somehow it was going to make me feel better because that's how I defined my worth. They don't know where that came from. I'm not sure that I exactly know where it came from. But that became something that I had to learn to separate because after a while it got to be a little destructive because you're looking at, I am good enough regardless of what I achieved. That's the God-given principle. God made Mm -hmm. me in his image. I was good no matter what I could do, so long as I'm a productive member of society, of course. Mm -hmm. But I believed it. And so it really got to be destructive that I wanted to learn, can I be content to just be instead of having to only think I'm good enough when I achieve? That was tough for me. Mm. Oh, man. Well, and I'm also looking at how we frame failure can also have an impact on how our child views their level of intelligence and that it, success should be t- defined in a healthy and realistic way. And, uh, you know, that's when he talks about uh, there's a big difference between being the best and giving your best. And, uh, you know, if you are trying to be the best and you fail, it's really depressing. But giving your best and failing will learn to more of a, uh, lead to more of a sense of contentment because you know you've tried. So make sure you use failure as a growth opportunity as much as a guide opportunity. Grades are important, but a grade on a test is not a grade on life. And my son, exactly. who's had so much difficulty this year and is really feeling down, has the most successful shoe business. I mean, this kid is doing so well. He must have had 100 pairs of you know high-end uh, shoes at his last uh, sneaker or laced-up event or whatever it was called. And all day long, he's selling shoes and jerseys. And he's got different accounts set up. He's got his Instagram. He's got all kinds of positive reviews. I mean, he has a following, and he's able to sell the majority of the shoes just through we ship them out you know we ship them he gets boxes at the house every single day and here he started this at 13 now he's 16 so uh, grades are important but a grade on a test is not a grade on life and I've got to I've got to go over this article in depth with my kids because I really do feel because my husband is a drill sergeant in the family and he is very critical I'll admit that uh, that it's hard on the kids and you know I'm not just blaming him I think I expect a lot of them too we both do well, we also expect a lot of ourselves and we don't understand how to process failure because we don't understand how to teach our kids how f- failure hurts when you're not, when you don't win that basketball game, when you don't get asked to the dance, when you didn't get that award or you didn't get the grade or you didn't get that scholarship or you didn't get into that college, whatever it is, we judge ourselves pretty harshly and it hurts. And that's part of life. But the fact is, is we as parents um, and as teachers and faculty have to teach our students the rest of the story. It's not about skill mastery. It's about emotional mastery. Let's teach them how to be good sportsmen. Let's teach them how to be able to accept going, yep, you didn't get it this time, but we're going to keep going. And I didn't do that. I stopped at one. Einstein didn't stop until he invented the light bulb. 10,000 ways he found it didn't work. A baseball player, a 500 average means he fails half the time he succeeds yeah that would be an amazing record exactly but we focus on the failure we don't focus on the success and we need to get away get away from that f word and teach the process which is what i teach my students is failure is only failure if you stop 
Yes. Failure is a gift if you keep going. And that's the failure is only failure if you stop and failure is a gift if you keep going. And in this article, uh, Leek says uh, letting our children fail while they're young teaches them to recognize the difference between a monumental failure and a momentary failure and the best time. Yeah. The difference between monumental or momentary. That's good. 35 years monumental. But even then it wasn't what did Winston Churchill said something um, failure isn't fi- failure isn't final because failure isn't fatal. Oh, I love that. Okay. Like, I think I'm paraphrasing, but I'm like, good old Winnie, right? And it was the point is you got to get up one more time. You got knocked down. I didn't get up. I took my ball and bat, put it away and says, bye-bye. I mean, come on. Yep. But here's the secret you can do as parents. Process that failure. If somebody would have sat down, my parents, a friend, a mentor, my college counselor, that would have taught me what to do with that failure instead of just how to move forward from it. Because what we did is I just found another line of work, another degree. I still got my degree four years later, moved on. I didn't process that for 35 years. It's been sitting there festering, eating at me. Because it's unfinished business. We're almost out of time, but I just want to uh, add this. Leek suggests um, that, you know, about teaching, letting your kids fail. It's critical because if the first time they experience failure is at 35, it's going to be crushing. Yes. While most parents have good intentions and just want their kids to be happy, we can't shelter our kids from failure. Helicopter parents, maybe you know one or maybe you are one and are guilty of this. They're willing to remove any obstacle that their child might face in order to see them succeed. The issue with this is that children then grow up lacking the essential skills needed to solve their own problems and if they aren't allowed to fail when they're younger they could suffer later as adults when the consequences of failure are more serious we have to teach our kids it's okay to make mistakes and how to differentiate between the wrong ones and the right ones and letting the children fail while they're young teaches them to recognize that difference as we mentioned between a monumental failure and a momentary failure we're about out of time so I want to tell you Dr. Cheryl Lentz. I so appreciate you. Dr. Cheryl Lentz com.com uh, at Dr. Cheryl Lentz.com. You'll find, um, you know, all the info about Cheryl and also her Ted talk. And then you can find our podcast at Angie Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Aspen park is listening to KLTT, the mighty six seventy. You just bought a new car, and it's everything you dreamed of and more. But you have so many memories with your old car, it almost feels like a family member. So you want to make sure it goes to a good home. You'll feel comfortable knowing when you donate your car to ARC Thrift Stores, you're giving to a good cause. You can donate anything with wheels, even motorcycles. And when you donate your vehicle, you get a tax deduction. It feels so good to give back. As you say farewell to your old vehicle, rest assured that your donation is making a difference by helping people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Donate your car to ARC Thrift Stores today. Visit arcthrift.com for more information about the car donation program. That's arcthrift.com, where your good memories of that old car can become new ones for people with disabilities. Angie Austin here with the good news. Uh, Really enjoyed that uh, topic about uh, why parents need to help their children fail. One I'll be talking about with my kids uh, in depth this week. We, uh, when they hand over the phones, as you probably know, our new thing is to several times a week have a message and whether that's, you know, talking about someone uh, who's 
road rage changed their life permanently or ended another's life or behavior at a fast food restaurant or proper etiquette when introducing friends to the family or a proper etiquette when, you know, visiting a friend and offering to do dishes when you're invited over for dinner or offering to set the table and to be the guests that the parents want to invite back and always, always, always saying Thank you. Thank you for the ride. Thank you for having me over. Um, You know, I really appreciate, you know, your cooking. Uh, That was a really great meal, whatever it may be, so that you are learning to be the guest, the friend that the parents want to have come back now and in the future when they grow up. So teaching failure important and, um, you know, having a mentor is a really big deal. And I have a mentor that I think is... uh, uh, one of the best, and that's Jim Stovall. We've known each other for, oh my goodness gracious, maybe a decade through you know our interviews, and we talk every week. And he's also spoken with my son as my son has hit you know bumps in the road in his teenage years. He has a successful business, but navigating COVID and trying to make friends in a new high school, et cetera, that was uh, difficult with the first year. You know, he wasn't there much. So um, every week I get his article and I often discuss uh, his article, his winner's wisdom article with my kids. And uh, one of the things about having a mentor is you obviously want to find someone who has, you know, what you want. And that would be Jim Stovall in a nutshell. You know, he's written over 50 books right now. And uh, can you believe that? He's blind and he's written over 50 books. He says he's writing books he can't read. But he does listen to a book, as he mentioned uh, last week, uh, every day he listens to a book. He speeds it up about six times the speed so that he can take in the information quickly. So he reads that book. Like in the morning, he will have already digested a book. I think that's wild, isn't it? All right. So this week's winner's uh, wisdom co- uh, <laughs> Winner's Wisdom column is talking about Napoleon. Now, I'm assuming that that's Napoleon Hill. Is that right, Mr. Jim Stovall? Right. No, it's the title of my new book. And a couple of times a year, uh, I uh, give birth to a new book, which is (laughs) as close to having a baby as a guy like me will do. And uh, my latest book uh, is entitled Dear Napoleon, and it's a retrospective on the life and legacy of Napoleon Hill. He was born in the 19th century, uh, changed the world in the 20th century with his book Think and Grow Rich, and then uh, still impacting people in the 21st century. So I reached out to a lot of people, you know, millionaires, billionaires, successful people, school teachers, everybody you can imagine, and I asked them, can you share how this man's work impacted your life and don't tell me write a letter as if you were writing to the late great napoleon hill and so they wrote letters dear napoleon here's what you did for me here's what i learned and so the book is a exercise in all of us remembering uh, uh, we didn't get here on our own and it's an exercise in giving gratitude to other people and then it's also a a good way for people to uh, learn or relearn uh, revisit uh, you know the things they've learned from uh, Napoleon Hill, because I don't care who you read in the success genre, whether it's me or anybody else, uh, we all, you know, stood on the shoulders of, of Napoleon Hill when we did it. His, his book was so unique at the time, and there's never been anything quite like that. Well, I, um, I did read his uh, Think and Grow Rich. I mean, it's been a long time, but, you know, it's interesting because I could tell 
just in some terminology and some examples, I could tell like this was a really old book, right? I mean, I knew that, but you oh, could yeah. tell in the verbiage. But then I was like, I am stunned at how beneficial the information was and how valuable it was and how it pertained to our world now, even though you could tell, you know, it was dated in terms of the examples and, um, you know, just the manner of speak. It, fascinating to me, though, how useful the information was. <coughs> oh, yeah. When I first met my mentor, uh, Lee Braxton, an amazing, amazing man with a third grade education that made $10 million during the Great Depression. And late in his life, he mentored me when I was just a kid. And the first thing he made me do was read uh, Think and Grow Rich three times. And I said, well, it's, it's, it's really old. And he said, so is the Bible. You need to read both of them, so shut up. And that was kind of my uh, introduction to Napoleon Hill. But what makes it so different? He was born in 1883, and as a young man, he was a newspaper reporter, and he... he no, for example, he was there the day the Wright brothers flew, and he did a lot of different things as a journalist. But... Uh, uh, as in his 20s, uh, the newspaper sent him out to interview Andrew Carnegie, the richest man in the world, the founder and president of U.S. Steel. And he'll ask uh, Carnegie the same question you or I would, uh, how do you get rich? And and Carnegie said, you know, no one has really ever quantified the science of success, but if you'll dedicate the next 20 years of your life to doing it, you'll be the one to unlock this. And Hill took the challenge, and Carnegie introduced him to Thomas Edison and, uh, you know, Henry Ford and, and Helen Keller and J.C. Penney and 500 of the most prominent, successful people of that era, and he synthesized all the information they told him and put it in a book called Think and Grow Rich, came out in 1937, and literally changed the world. They're the best-selling book to this day, and no, never been anything quite like it. And it's not a theory. It's not some guy's idea of what happened. This is the, the real synthesis of 500 people who really experienced uh, success at a level no one else ever did. Yeah, I would say. Now, to get that many people together, and then, you know, I'm thinking back, because it's been a good decade since I read the book, and I remember he talked to, you know, businessmen. Um, I remember some yeah. of those examples. I didn't realize Helen Keller. I mean, that's fascinating to me, because, you know, her inability to communicate for so long, and then when she was taught to communicate, uh, how much was going on in her brain that was amazing and had she not gotten the proper help we never would have known how much intelligence was within her you know because uh there was no way for her to communicate it initially um what what made you really uh focus on him and make him stand out so much that you'd write a whole book uh, about him because he reminds me a little bit of you in fact I call you my mentor, and you don't even know that probably, but the other day when I mentioned you, my husband goes, what do you mean your mentor? And I and he's like, you never said he was your mentor. And I'm like, well, it's not like I walk around and say like, well, my mentor, Jim Stovall. I mean, that's not how you converse, right? <laughs> well, you know, I... Uh, you know, like you, I always tell people Lee Braxton was my mentor, and then I have different mentors in other forms, you know, in business, in the movie industry, in television, different things I do. But to be real honest, I mean, I don't know that I ever set out and ask somebody. I mean, they don't have business cards that say mentor. It just, <laughs> it's a relationship that happens over time. And <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm going to send you one. <laughs> that's well, that's great, you know. Business and card. It, I mean, it's like you and me. We started out years and years ago when I was doing... 
um, a, a, a series of interviews you do every time a book comes out. You do dozens and dozens of radio interviews, and I was interviewing with you, and you were on some little station somewhere, and and you were just so much better than anybody I'd ever talked to. And I so after we were off the air, I said, "Who are you?" And uh, you know, I found out a little about the real Angie Austin, and uh, you know, and I just told you, hey, just hang around and remember, I'm the one who told you, so you are going to be a rock star, and you are. And every day I I get to do this with you, I really appreciate it, and uh, I don't mind telling anybody, including Mike, uh, you know, trading him in for you is definitely an upgrade. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, you know, Mike uh, has such great advice, and you know, his nephew Riley Opelka is uh, a top, top, top notch. Tennis Fleury is going to see him in like a week at, I think, the U.S. Open. But um, the interesting thing is that Mike, I don't think, he gives a lot of advice. But the other day he mentioned to me that when he made a big career transition that your advice and your wisdom were very beneficial to him. And I think that's what you're kind of saying in this article is, you know, lean on people who might have wisdom that you aspire to, you know, you aspire to be like them. And so getting their wisdom will help you to lead a life, uh, you know, uh, that's admirable. And uh, I think that going to people that you admire for advice, and you even say if you're going to go for financial advice, the guy better have, or gal, better uh, be successful. You better get financial advice from somebody that knows how to make money or, you know, run a business. And in the case of your, I would say mentor-wise, you give me advice on life. I'm not um, in the making, you always tell me making money's easy, which I still haven't figured that part out yet, which maybe I should lean on you for a little more advice there. But I think you kind of just make me feel positive about life. And because you've overcome so much with, you know, losing your eyesight and having to change your goals in life and then probably becoming more successful than you would have been had you not lost your sight, that you're my like life mentor, or my hope mentor. I don't know. I just think you have a really terrific outlook on the world. Well, and that's the great thing about seeking advice. First of all, never take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. I, mean, <laughs> I love that. You know, broke financial advisors, overweight diet doctors, or <laughs> incarcerated attorneys. This is just not a good way to go. I mean, no. you need to find somebody that has what you want, but through books and, and now all the things that's available online, but basically through books, the, the wealthiest, most successful, happiest, significant people that have ever lived are standing by ready, willing, and able to give you their very best stuff any moment you'll take the time to crack open a book. So there's really no excuse for not getting the information from the people you need. Well, I uh, I sure do appreciate, you know, everything that you've told me over the years. And you also have now, you know, taken it upon yourself or offered to speak with my son, who's, you know, 16 now. And boy, when, you know, you and I first started interviewing, he was in elementary school. So, um, you know, getting someone like you to advise him at such a young age is so beneficial. I have a girlfriend who mentors kids and she goes by the moniker, the drill sergeant of life. And we both had difficult backgrounds mm-hmm. and she's really made something of herself. She always wanted to be a writer. Writer, but then, you know, not having money, she went in the military and then she became a truck driver and, you know, did other things like that. But finally, she'd gotten a typewriter when she was eight because she loved to write. So finally, now she's an author, right? And she's in her 60s. And uh, she said to me once, 
I wonder what I could have become if I would have had a me when I was growing up, if I would have had a mentor like me when I was growing up. And I was like, wow, it's amazing what I hope the influence you have on my son is as positive as it's been on me. And then anyone who wants to, you know, read your books and your column every week can also get the uh, Jim Stovall, uh, you know, free wisdom, which, you know, I mean, there's no charge. Uh, So what's the best way for people to reach you, Jim? Just Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com. And that new book is Dear Napoleon. I can't wait to read it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, as always. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.